Good morning, church. Oh, man, it is so good to see you today. Uh, glad that uh, you survived last weekend, and, uh, and whether you were with us in the room or online last week, uh, if you were online with us because you couldn't get out of your driveway, we missed you. And uh, it is uh, great to see you this, this morning. I am uh, just thankful that we get to gather here and, and worship Jesus together. I hope we never take this for granted. I mean, what a privilege this is. Uh, to be able to uh, gather and, and, and praise Jesus uh, through our, our singing, through reading of Scripture, through the preaching of God's Word. We want everything to be about Him, uh, and hopefully uh, this just directs your attention and, and your affection uh, to Christ this morning. Uh, I'll uh, have you go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, we're starting a new series this morning. Uh, and we're starting in John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you and you want to grab the one that's in that pew rack right in front of you, you can just turn to page 901 in that Bible, and that is where you will find our text this morning. And while you're turning there, if you're a guest with us especially, I, I want you to know right from the beginning that we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And we believe that it is inerrant in the original manuscripts and then sovereignly preserved for us through the generations so that through the reading of this book and the illumination of his spirit, we believe that we can know God. And there's nothing better than that. There's nothing better. There's no greater thing than knowing Jesus. We believe that we can know him and love him and follow him and worship him because of how he's revealed himself to us in this book. We, we believe so much in the sufficiency of scripture that we don't think that what I'm about to say today matters at all unless it agrees with what God has said in his word. We want to collectively be a church that believes it doesn't really matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says. So what the Bible says needs to become what we think. And just a warning, if you come to that conclusion, it has a significant impact on the rest of your life. So I don't just want you to take my word for it, but I want you to know where we stand. This is why we want you to see God's word for yourself today in John 15. And typically in the month of January... Uh, we, we do a series that, that focuses on our mission as a church and, and maybe what we want to emphasize in a given year. Uh, and, and given the season that we're in as a church and this time of transition, as we've just said uh, goodbye to Pastor John and Anna, they've moved, we packed a 26-foot tra- uh, you know, a U-Haul on a Friday night, and Pastor John uh, went up to Cortland, New York yesterday with, a, with his family. And so uh, given the season that we are in and this time of transition, I, I want to take a slightly different approach to the beginning of the year. And for the next couple of months, we're just going to be walking through the words of Jesus in John 15 through 17. And, uh, and, and as we get into this, I just want to remind you of the context in which we find uh, these chapters. Uh, right before John 15 through 17, in chapters 13 and 14 of the Gospel of John, uh, we have John's account of the Last Supper. The last Passover meal Jesus enjoyed with his disciples before his arrest and then crucifixion. So chapter 13 of John is when Jesus told them that one of them was going to betray them. And it's when Judas eventually leaves the room to do exactly that. It's when Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times that night. He comforts his disciples by telling them about the Father's house in John 14 
and that they know the way to where he is going because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. He tells them that the Holy Spirit is going to come when he leaves, and then they get up and leave the upper room, and they're going to begin to head to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in between the Last Supper and their arrival in the garden where Jesus is going to be arrested, we have the words of Jesus in John 15 through 17. It's his last lessons for his disciples before his crucifixion. What, what did Jesus want his followers to remember as he went to the cross? What, what did he pray for on their behalf before Calvary? What, what was on Jesus' heart that night? We don't have to wonder the answer to those questions uh, because they are documented for us and we're going to see them in these coming weeks. And, and so our desire for this series that we're calling Lasting Lessons is that our hearts would align with Jesus' heart for us. That our hearts would align with Jesus' heart for us. Is that something you want to be true in your life? Do you want your heart to align with Jesus' heart for you? Uh, we think a lot about the question, what do we want? Right? What do we want? You ask that question in so many different ways every single day. What do you want to eat? Right? What do you want to wear? What do you want to do this weekend? What do, you, what do you want for your children? What do you want for your grandchildren? Uh, what do you want them to become? What, what do you want? And as I think about what I want in 2024, uh, my answer is really quite simple. I want to want what Jesus wants. I want to want what Jesus wants. As I, as I think about this church, I, I, I just want to want what Jesus wants. And, and if that is your desire as well, I have good news for you. Because at least generally speaking, Jesus's will, his desire isn't a mystery to us. It's been revealed to us. We know what our mission as a church and as believers should be from Matthew 28, 19 through 20. I think I read these at the beginning of every year because they never change. They never, these are still true. Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Our mission as a church to make more and better followers of Jesus is, is not our own idea. It comes from the command of Jesus. We believe that he is better than anyone and anything. Knowing him is, is better than anything else that we could ever know. We believe that Jesus has all power and all authority. We believe that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. And we want everything we do to draw others to him and help us draw closer to him as well. We just want to make disciples that make disciples because we want to want what Jesus wants. That's what Jesus wants. And I believe we're going to see Jesus' words in these three chapters, John 15 through 17, connect with our mission in so many ways. And so we're going to jump in. Uh, we're going to see the setup 
in verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to spend a majority of our time in verses 8 through 11. But before I, I, I read God's word, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we want to see you. We want to know you. We want to know your truth. We, we hear so many lies, both in the world that we live and maybe even within our own minds that we tell ourselves. And so I pray that you would clear all that away so we can hear from your truth and we can be transformed from the inside out. We know that this is only possible through the power of your spirit. So spirit, would you fill us and would you enlighten us so we can see your truth right now? In Jesus' name, amen. John, John 15, 1 through 7, Jesus said this to his disciples as they're leaving the upper room right before he's going to be arrested and then later crucified. He said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Uh, This is the last of the seven I am statements of Jesus in the book of John, and if they seem familiar, it's because we covered all of them last year, uh, including this one in April of 2023. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on what I just what I, what I just read, if you need a refresher, you want to go back on our YouTube channel or our website, and you can find this message from April of last year, I think it will be helpful to you. I, I love this passage. It's one of my favorites, and so I, I'm not, but this is not the time. We just covered that in April, but, but as a reminder, here's the metaphor. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches, which means that Jesus is who I could never be. Jesus is self sufficient. He doesn't need anyone else to have life. Everyone else needs him to have life, right? He is the true vine. He's the source. We are not. He is the source. All things were created through him. Every living thing owes its existence to Jesus. And he didn't just create us. He also sustains us. A a branch can't do much on its own. It must be connected to the vine. And we can't do much on our own. We must be connected to Jesus because apart from him, we can do nothing. Nothing of eternal, lasting value. So the instruction that flows out of this metaphor is not bear fruit. The instruction is abide. Remain in Jesus. Stay connected to the source of life and joy and peace. If we abide in Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit will be naturally produced. So so that's the picture. 
Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, and if you want more about that, you can go back and listen to that whole sermon. But then verses 8 through 11 give, a pic- give that picture of the vine and the branches even more color and even more detail. And I want you to notice how many times Jesus uses the personal pronoun my as he is talking in these four verses. How many times does he use that personal pronoun my in verses 8 through 11? Jesus says, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. Were you counting as we went through those? The answer is seven, right? Seven times we see Jesus use the pronoun my in these four verses. My father, my disciples, my love, my commandments, my love, my father's, my joy. Everything revolves around and is connected to Jesus in this passage, which makes sense because he's the Vine, he's the source. Everything has to be connected to him. And, and these four verses are answering the all-important question, how is God glorified? How is God glorified? When you see that question, it should pique your interest because that is our ultimate purpose. We were created to glorify God. to to draw attention to the greatness of God. We were created to worship, to assign ultimate worth to God. And, And when I say ultimate purpose, I mean that this is the only purpose that is an end to itself. Glorifying God, worshiping God is the only purpose that is an end to itself. So so if you became my four-year-old son for just a second... And, and started playing the why game with me. Do you all know the why game, parents? Right? No matter what you say to your four-year-old, what do they say in response? Okay. So if we play the why game, <laughs> this is the final answer to the why game. No matter what the topic is, if we're followers of Jesus. So, Daddy, why do you preach sermons? Tell people better understand and apply God's word. Why? Because we want to be transformed and live based on what God says. Why? (laughs) Because we were made to glorify God. Why? Because. (laughs) He's glorious, right? That, like, that's the end of the why game. Why, Why do we want to make more and better followers of Jesus? To glorify God, to to worship Him, right? Worship, glorifying God is the only act that is an end to itself instead of a means to a greater end, right? It's always the destination. It's always what we are pointing to. Everything that we do, even eating and drinking, should be a means to the ultimate end of glorifying and worshiping God. So any passage that explicitly gives us a better view of how God is glorified by our lives 
is crucial for us, and this is one of those passages. This is why we exist. So when Jesus says, by this, my Father is glorified, we're like, okay, I'm ready. Are you ready? Okay. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So how is God glorified? He is glorified when Jesus' disciples are proven. When Jesus' disciples are proven. And make sure you think about this verse in light of the metaphor. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. When we are connected to him, we bear fruit. So the fruit of our life is what proves or reveals who we belong to. So if you see a picture of a branch that has oranges on it, you are going to surmise that branch is connected to an orange tree unless you have significant trust issues. See a branch with apples on it, you're going to guess it's connected to an apple tree. And if you see someone whose life is producing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's from Galatians chapter 5, and that's just a list that's telling us what God is like. This is who God is, and so if the Spirit of God is in us and controlling us, that's what we will be like. We're not perfect, but we're growing. We're growing. I'm not where I want to be, but praise God, I'm not where I used to be either. If I'm a Christian, I'm going to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life. And when people see that, the logical conclusion is that branch must be connected to the true vine. That person must be connected to Jesus, which is why God is the one who is glorified by true fruit in our lives. Because our lives are not meant to produce what we could never produce on our own, because our lives are meant to produce what we could never produce on our own. Remember verse 5, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing of eternal lasting value. So, So my life, based on verse 8, should produce something that causes people to say, he couldn't do that on his own. (laughs) Whoa, what happened to him, right? I knew that guy when he was a teenager. What is this? What is this? He must be relying on someone greater than himself. That's what our lives should be doing. It should be obvious we're relying on somebody else in the fruit that's produced in our lives. This, this might not be the perfect analogy, but I, I think about why we give coaches credit in sports, right? And when your team isn't good, who do you say to fire? You want the coach, you want the coach fired. Why? Why? Because when you see a basketball team that works hard for each other, that passes the ball, that works together, runs good plays, that's connected on defense. We call that a well-coached team, don't we? And you've never seen a practice in your life of that team, right? You watch them play, and you're like, they have to be well-coached. Why? Why? Because we know that middle school, high school, college students don't naturally do those things, right? So sure, you could have an individual make a great play or hit a great shot, but if you're going to accomplish something greater than yourself, you need a good coach. And that team produces, what that team produces reflects positively on 
that coach. A better analogy is that of a garden. That's the one that Jesus is giving us here. And when you see a beautiful garden, you do not give much credit to the branches, do you? Right? When you see a beautiful garden, you're not, wow, look at those branches. They are amazing. No, you say there must be a good gardener. Has to be. Has to be. Beautiful gardens don't just happen. Case in point, our house is where plants go to die. And maybe yours are too. Maybe yours are too. We like them. One day, maybe one day we'll be better. (laughs) If you are going to have a beautiful garden, you need a good gardener, which is exactly who God the Father is in this analogy. He is the vine dresser, Jesus says, removing the dead branches, pruning the good ones so they can bear more fruit. So he, the vine dresser, is glorified when we produce the fruit that is only possible when we are connected to Jesus. So how we live shows who we are connected to. And God is glorified when the fruit of our lives prove that we are connected followers of Jesus. There's a lot more implications to that, by the way. You can think about that all day long, but we're going to move on to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So God is glorified when Jesus' love is experienced. When Jesus' love is experienced. And if you want to add a word to that, you could add the word continuously. God is glorified when we abide, when we remain in Jesus' love continuously. Why? Because the love that Jesus has for us is the love that God the Father has for God the Son. The reason the Father's glorified when we abide in Jesus' love is because that love is the same love the Father has for the Son. And this is a preview of a theme that we're going to see throughout this series, throughout these three chapters. And it's amazing. Jesus is calling his followers into a relationship that reflects the relationship within our Trinitarian God. Think about this because it's mind-blowing, okay? We believe in one God, three persons, okay? Even though that's hard for our human brains to understand, Because that's how God has revealed himself to us in his word. So three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are are all God, but they are not the same. Three in one God. And within the Godhead, we see the absolute height of relationship. Perfect love, perfect unity. It's a very different relationship than what we often experience with other humans. But that, that height of relationship is what Jesus wants you to experience with him. How amazing is that? How how amazing is that? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Wow, like, That is incredible. That's incredible. Here's the instruction. Stay right there. Abide. Stay right there. Abide in my love. Rely on me. 
trust me. Well, how do we do that? Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as, right, Jesus obeys and submits to the Father and abides in his love. Uh, so, so let me frame this for you in a way I, I hope is helpful. There are two types of cycles in our relationship with Jesus. Uh, the negative cycle could be characterized by offending and avoiding. Negative cycle of relationship, offending and avoiding. When you think about human relationships, when you feel like you have offended someone, the natural tendency is to avoid that person, right? Which often leads to more offense and then more avoidance. One of our children, uh, when they know that they have offended us, they just, they just make a beeline to their room. Right? We tell them that they did something wrong, they run away, right? Just often in tears, just run away, which is exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden, isn't it? They ran from God and they hid themselves. They knew they had offended, so they wanted to avoid him. It's, it's the natural response to knowing you've offended someone. And, and maybe that is what your relationship with God has looked like. Maybe now or in the past, you, you've tried to avoid him because you think that you have offended him. And, and you get into this negative cycle where your avoidance causes more offense, which causes more avoidance. And, and, and you get to the end of that road and you're like, you don't realize, how did I get so far from him? Like, well, how, how is this happening to me? It's a negative cycle, avoiding and offending and avoiding and offending. And can I tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, that Jesus didn't go to the cross, take our sin on himself, give us a new identity in him for us to base our proximity to him on our own performance. We don't base our proximity to Jesus on our performance. It's about what he's done in our place. He wants us to abide in him. Right? He's talking to Peter, who's about to deny him three times, and he says, abide in me. Abide in my love. Don't run away. Run to me. Run to me. And just like there's this negative cycle, there's also a positive relationship cycle. It's what Jesus is calling us to here. Instead of avoiding and offending, what we are called to as followers of Jesus is abiding and obeying. Instead of avoiding and offending, we are called to abiding and obeying. So we abide in Jesus' love, which leads to us obeying what he says, which leads to us abiding even more in his love, and so on and so forth. And the reason that abiding and obeying are so closely connected is because the greatest command Jesus gave us is to love him. The greatest commandment. Is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so these are not two different things, abiding and obey, abiding in his love and obeying his commands. They're connected. They're connected. We, we love him and then we love others. So, so we experience Jesus' unconditional love for us. We love him and others in return with the love that he gives us as we abide in his love which brings God the Father glory because the love we are relying on and then demonstrating to others is the love that could only come from him. Yes? So here's the application question. Is God being glorified by you continuously experiencing the love of Jesus 
and then obediently loving and trusting him in return? Are you in a cycle of abiding and obeying? Or are you in a cycle of avoiding and offending? Let's look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. God is glorified when Jesus' joy fills us. When his joy fills us. This one verse succinctly refutes two lies that are at the root of every temptation that we face. That sounds great, but it's only great if it's true. So let's see. The, The first lie is that God is stingy and mean, and he wants to keep good things from you. The second lie is that more joy and more happiness can be found in other places or in other things. So so being a Christian is often characterized by having to follow a bunch of rules, and the rules are all the things that you can't do, right? And everyone else gets to have all the fun, and they get to party it up, and God doesn't want you to have the things that you want. Maybe that's the subliminal message that you hear from other people, or maybe that's the thought that Satan puts in your own mind. The same temptation Satan put in Eve's mind in the garden. Right? God's keeping something good from you. Look at this. You want this, right? You want this. Are you sure you can trust a God that says you can't have that? Are you sure you trust him? You're going to enjoy this. Why would God tell you not to have something you would enjoy? And maybe you feel like you have tried to follow God, but he hasn't given you what you think will make you happy. And you start to think that maybe you need to try to find happiness your own way. Maybe you should do this or this or this. Maybe you should look over here, right? This is every temptation. Look over here. You can have this right now. This is even better. You deserve this just this one time. Does that resonate with you at all? And God is keeping good things from you. And there are other sources of happiness and joy that he doesn't want you to find. Okay, take those two lies and hold them up to the light of this passage. Jesus tells us to abide in him. To trust his love. To love him in return. to, To love others. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Is it because he wants you to be miserable? Is it because he wants to keep all these good things from you? No. It's because he is the source of joy. He wants his joy to be in us so that our joy will be full. Jesus tells us to abide in him, not to keep us from what will make us happy, but to keep us from running away from the only source of true happiness. Do you hear that? He doesn't tell us to abide in him to keep us from what makes us happy, but to keep us from running away from the source of true happiness. And so maybe you've tried. Maybe you've tried to find satisfaction and fulfillment and a happiness that lasts in all sorts of different places, right? And and it's like the carrot on the end of the stick, and it's just always out of reach, and you try to convince yourself that you're happy, but deep down you know that something is missing. And without Jesus, that's what the world would be like for all of us, right? Just a bunch of people, hopeless 
aimlessly running around trying to find something that will fulfill them, hoping that the next counterfeit source we connect to would actually provide something that's true, only to be let down once again. This is the consequences of our sin. God created us to be fulfilled by glorifying him as we find our joy in him. But instead of trusting his love, we rebelled and thought that we could find better sources instead of the true source. This is the crisis of humanity. We need to be connected to God in order to have true life and joy, but our sin separates us from him. This is the gospel. God came to us in the person of Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the source. I am the bread of life. I am living water. I am the true vine. If you are thirsty, come to me. If you're hungry, come to me. If you need to have joy and fulfillment, come to me. Come to me. Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I failed to live. And then Jesus died the death on the cross that we deserve to die. He took the just punishment for all of our sins on himself at the cross. He rose from the dead. He conquered sin and the grave. He ascended into heaven, promising to return. So if you come to the end of yourself and place your faith instead in the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus, if you come to Jesus and say, I need you. I need to be connected to you. I need you to be the king of my life. All of your sins are forgiven. The righteousness of Jesus is credited to your formerly guilty account. You become part of the eternal family of God because Jesus came for the Father's glory and for our joy. Do you believe that? He came for the Father's glory and for our joy. This is the beauty of the gospel. What brings the, fa the Father glory and what brings us joy are not at odds with each other. You hear that? What brings God the Father glory and what will bring you joy are not at odds to, with each other. It's not one or the other. So if you think either I can obey God or I can be happy, then what you think will make you happy won't actually make you happy for as long as you think. It doesn't bring God glory to have a bunch of yes men who are miserable and they just follow a bunch of rules because they are afraid of retribution. God is glorified when we realize that everything we need is found in Jesus. <laughs> that he's enough no matter what comes. That apart from him we can do Nothing. We can't do anything. So we abide in him. Where else would we go? He has the words of eternal life. We abide in him. We enjoy his love. We love him and others in return. We experience the gift of joy that comes from the Holy Spirit that's difficult to explain to someone who hasn't experienced the love of Jesus yet. This is the heart of Jesus for his followers. He wants the Father to be glorified through our joyful connection with him. And I want to want what Jesus wants. Don't you? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that your glory and our true joy are not at odds with each other, but they are connected. I pray that you would be glorified in our lives 
as we find our joy, our satisfaction, our fulfillment in the only source that is true, the only true vine, which is Jesus. I pray for those that it sounds good, but man, it's just not how they feel. It doesn't seem like it's working, and they're wondering if they need to go somewhere else. I pray that they would see you today, and that you would give them a joy that can only be found in their reliance on you. I pray that we would abide in Jesus, believing that apart from you, we can't really do anything that matters, nothing of lasting value. And I'm so thankful that abiding in you is possible, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us in our place. So thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you that we get to come to the table and remember what you've done through the receiving of communion. We're thankful for how deep the Father's love for us is. And so I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.